you said it's better to hire the right people versus the best people. Right. So rather than, rather than getting personal in our in our company, because I don't know who's going to watch it from my team, but when I was hiring my leadership team at this, I had the opportunity to hire the best, hire the most sophisticated tenure veterans, the you know people have done this, been here, done that before, and on paper it would look perfect. Person's great on paper, okay, but when, but when you dig into it on paper. You know, whether it was hunger or whether it was not the right time or I just was, you know, we'd be a stepping stone. I just felt they may not be the right person for us. And I actually settled with, not settled, I should say, my choice. I actually opted for people like, for example, a three-year um, veteran in a certain skill set versus a 10-year veteran. Or opted for a person who was a VP, not an EVP in a certain thing, because the step-up job he was ready for, and I knew he would put everything into it, where the EVP might have been somebody who more coasted or had to build an infrastructure team. Um, you know, a team would be more of a uh, delegator. I was looking for the the hungry, um, this was their moment. They were up at bat. For the first time, the spotlight was on them. They had enough skill. They had incredible passion. They had a really strong why. And that's who I brought into my team. But on paper, it may not look like the, you know, the 10-year veteran, the MBA from Harvard that, you know, I'm looking for the grit, the person that can, that can, that just, this is it. When they come home at night, they're all their passions going to this as if this was the game they've been waiting for all their life. Um, they've waited for game seven and this was it. Right. And those are the people that are on my management team. And that's why I have, you know, phenomenal talent. And those are the kind of people you don't, provide command and control too. You don't say do this. These are the people you set them up and you let them go do, let them be the best selves that they can. And oh. give them the most of us never learned how to train our brains, which is why most of us needlessly settle, struggle, and worse, suffer. My name is Chris Doris and I want to make brain training mainstream. This is my series, Tough Talks, Conversations on Mental Toughness. I'm interviewing badasses from all walks of life on what mental toughness means to them and their unique approaches to strengthening their minds. Hey everybody, welcome back to Tough Talks, conversations on mental toughness, and I am your host, Chris Doris. And before I introduce our guest today, our one housekeeping item, as usual, is if you are not getting the Daily Dose Mental Toughness tips in 30 seconds or less delivered to your email inbox every single day of the year, and if you're not getting notifications, uh, or if you're not getting yeah email notifications of my blog post that go out every Tuesday, and if you're not getting notifications of these new uh, Tough Talks podcast episodes, then we can take care of all that virtually, effortlessly by going to ChristopherDoris.com backslash lists, L-I-S-T-S, ChristopherDoris.com backslash lists, name, email, boom, you get all the goods. Our guest today is an old friend named Gary Weiss. And I met Gary somewhere between 10 and 15 years ago and have enjoyed, you know, I, I you know, fell in love with the dude as soon as I met him. You know, super cool guy. He's got Philly roots. That doesn't hurt. Uh, we'll, we'll be exploring that at some point, maybe several points. <laughs> and uh, the trajectory of his career during the time that I've known him has been virtually vertical. You know, he, he's, I mean, he's a CEO now. You know, and um, he's, he was, in, I think he was an SVP at a company. He spent his entire career, I think, in the SaaS industry, which is S-A-A-S, software as a service. And, you know, he was like the senior VP uh, at a company called OpenText. Uh, and it goes way back before that, but I think that's around when I met him. And then he was the COO, the chief, chief operating officer at a company called Aspen Technology. He was at Vector Solutions. He was a leader. And now he is uh, the president and CEO, chief executive officer at a company called Career Certified, which is basically a school, right? It's a digital school um, you know, where they do career CE, career education. So uh, I'm going to ask him a lot about leadership, you know, um, because he's a phenomenal leader. So, you know what's a really great way of, um, like a cool, a really effective metric for identifying someone as a phenomenal leader? It's unsolicited compliments 
on their posts, on especially particularly on LinkedIn, and he gets tons of them. I, I just noticed that's true. You know, someone will make a post. Uh, I've had several guests on Tough Talks where this is true for. You know, I research them, of course, on LinkedIn. It's one of the places. And I read their posts and I look at the comments. So people comment and say, hey, I worked for you back at OpenText and so, so, so many years ago. I worked for you at Vector. I worked for you at Aspen Tech. You know, and, and you were one of the greatest or the greatest leader I've ever worked for. You know, you always really made me feel safe. And these are the kind of comments that great leaders elicit. And they're, um, they're unsolicited. And that's that's Gary Weiss. Now, I'm going to ask him all about his leadership, about the company that he's working, you know, that he's running. And but also at the end, stay tuned. OK, for the at the very end, I learned something about Gary that is truly beautiful. Gary and his wife uh, are doing something for the world in the world that is spectacular. You know, so I, I'm going to end. We'll, we'll, we'll end with that. So stay tuned for that. Very heartwarming. All right, without any further ado, let's go find our boy, Gary. Where are you, man? There he is, folks. There he is right over there. Gary Weiss, my man. Good to have you. Good. Good to be here, Chris. So I just uh, shared every with everybody uh, your bio, which is remarkably impressive. Um, <laughs> we go back a long way, man. In fact, I think there's only one person in um, my corporate history that goes back further than you. One of all the people, Dave Canham. Wow. Okay. Because, uh, in fact, he's the only reason I know you. Oh, wow. Yeah, because Dave Canham introduced me to John Hunter, and you know the rest of the story. Yeah, that's great. Well, yeah, you and I go back a long ways, man, and I and – I, and, uh, I shared with everybody that you've brought me along with you for the ride, and I really appreciate that, man. And we have we have a great history, and I'm so happy for you and all the amazing success that you've created for yourself. And I just want to acknowledge straight away here uh, a, a recent acknowledgement of yours that the uh, in a an industry poll you were just nominated as one of the five best CEOs to watch in 2023. That props, man. Thanks a lot. Thanks. How cool is that? Yeah, very cool. Very, very honored and privileged. So. Well, and I'm sure it's for a good reason. So let's talk some psychology now, since that's what our podcast is about. I've only had a few, a handful maybe, maybe, of CEOs on the podcast before you. And as I was preparing for our conversation today, I realized there are a few questions that I had never asked before of a CEO, which is a little surprising to me. So um, I'm going to drop the bombs on you, man. Go for it. Let's roll. All right. Well, what, what would you say is the most important psychological skill of a CEO slash leader? Um, I think it's really self-awareness. Um, hmm. When you think about it, it's, it's being aware of not just of yourself, um, how you're perceived by others and just have knowing the, knowing the um, dynamic of your team as well. So with being self-aware, you know, I, I think through my history, you know, the good CEOs, you know, have a good pulse of the company and mm. a good pulse on how they react with their company and how they can motivate behavior on their teams and set them up in, a, in the right way. But I think that some of the CEOs that maybe I've struggled with or seen that may have had struggles and didn't last a long time are ones that come in with an agenda, mm. their plan, their style, and they impose it. And those that impose their style into an organization, regardless of, what, regardless of whether the organization is ready for it or not, you know, seem to have a little more difficulty. And I think one of the big characteristics psychologically is just being very self-aware to what your organization is going through, their culture, um, and how you can um, also just really affect change and put them in a position to succeed and in the best position to be, you know, to, to get the most out of, out of this. What, what are some of the ways that you do that? You know, I noticed on your... You, share, you have a document, which is your leadership philosophy. Yeah, yes. I want to get to some specifics of that in a bit, in a bit. Um, but the, the subtitle of your leadership philosophy is enable and empower. Right. Enable and empower. What are some ways that, that you do that? 
Well, I think first you want to do is, is, you know, there's different styles. And I think first you got to pick what, what are you comfortable with and you know, who's your authentic self. And some styles are command and control. You may have heard of that, the command and control style where you basically call the play and your team is set up to execute your play. Um, that hasn't been my style in the past. Um, you know, I'm, I think that, um, you know, it, my, my style is definitely more about putting the empowerment into the team, mm-hmm. letting them make decisions. And I, I took a, I took a course, um, in the military course, actually West Point that actually talked about commander's intent and about, you know, the styles about enable and empower. And you'd be amazed that at West Point, you would think that's gotta be the most command and control. Yeah. Right. Um, right. Structure, a leadership structure there is. But what they told us and general spoke to us and said, you know, it's not at all. Think about it. You may make a decision to take that hill or to or to take that city in Iraq, but you don't tell the field commanders how to do it. Hmm. They just go. They have to do it because they have the situation, situational awareness hmm. at the field to understand the context, the weather, the elements, what's happening in real time, that they can make the best call dynamically to take that hill. And that imagine a scenario that that general or a colonel at the field level in Iraq has to call up his general, has to call the politician, has to get to Washington and say, do you mind if I go right or flank left? Right. It would take a right. The point right. was, he said, we're actually one of the most enabled, most most uh, decentralized decision-making authorities you'd imagine because everyone thinks we're command and control, but it's not really that. We provide a commander's intent, then we prepare our teams on how to, how to execute that, but the execution of it and how to do it comes down to them. And I've always believed that as well, is that you know, good teams are when you have a great management leadership structure, a great CEO that can provide that type of, type of direction. But great teams are when the people hold themselves accountable and can make the decisions and act themselves because you're more nimble, you're dynamic, you're able to adapt to situations in the fly versus waiting for someone to tell you what to do. And so enable and empower has been my philosophy as really it's, it's contra- compar- you know, contrast to a more you know, top down command and control type strategy. So, so that that sounds like that requires some humility and a whole lot of trust. A lot of trust. Um, you know, it, you have to have good team, good people. You're as good as your team. And uh, part of the first, most important part of the of the approach is you know, hire great leaders um, and make sure you got them right. And they don't have to be your people. They don't have to be. It's just the right people, not your people. But people who share that type of philosophy that are able to be decisive, make decisions, not afraid of making mistakes, um, can take take strategy and say, I know how to customize it and, and accomplish that through my own planning, my own building of a team and execution of that strategy. So uh, it's really a critical thing one of, for my history. That's been one of the areas that, you know, that I've, I've been probably a strength of mine is just understanding how to find the right people for the organization at the right time. Trust your talent or get new talent. Um, that, but that is manage them. So who doesn't want to hire a players, right? So have you discovered, yeah. you know, there's got to be secrets, okay, to successful hiring. Yeah. What what's something you've learned over time mm-hmm. that helps you really discover if this person that you're considering taking on to the team truly is skilled in the way you're describing an a player who takes like yeah what do you ask them how do you know a person's willing to has the ability and willingness which are two different things to hold themselves accountable yeah no it's great great question um because there's a lot of a players out there but it doesn't mean they're going to fit your culture or your company mm-hmm. so what i try to do is look for really two things you know, one is called will and skill so will and skill do they have the will to achieve and they have the skill to achieve um, the skill part, you know, you can get, you can find a number of people that are straight A's on the skill, but you know, what's the, what's their passion? What are they trying to get out of this job? Like, where do they want to be? Are they using it as a stepping stone to something else? Is it, are they at the end of their career? Or is it the beginning? Is this their moment? You know, I try to find people that this is their moment. This is their time to shine. What do you mean? What do you mean? This is, what do you mean by this is their moment? Well, in, in career, some people might, you know, uh, this could be the second or third job at a certain level where they're just maybe buying time for the next big opportunity. It could be someone who just took the job because they wanted to use it, get the title and use it to launch themselves. Or it could be a leader that is saying, you know what, where I am in my life, my work-life balance, my abilities, my skill, my, my will, this is the place I want to be for all the reasons that are personal, 
that are, um, they can be financial, professional, um, but it really comes down to their passion. What's in their heart, you know, and why they're, why they're there. What's their why? I guess that's the real question. You ask that question? What's their why? Yeah, I always ask that question. Um, mm-hmm. in, in a way, I may not come out and say, tell me what your why is, but I will get to the answer of when I answer, when I think about making them an offer, you know, I understand what their why is and it's aligned with my why and what the, what the company's uh, objective is. And if the why's are aligned, then that's a really big part of it, knowing who the right person is. Because sometimes they might be the right, they might be great, but their whys are just misaligned. And, and if they're misaligned, it doesn't really work out so well at the end. And uh, I'd rather find the right people versus the best people, if that makes well, sense. That, oh, that's interesting. That's an interesting distinction. Well, okay, please elaborate. The well, right, just, just to make sure everyone hears the distinction that I'm asking about, you you just said, I was about to move to another, another question, but I'm not. Uh, because of that, you, you said it's better to hire the right people versus the best people. Right. So rather than, rather than personal in our in our company, because I don't know who's going to watch it from, from my team, but when I was hiring my leadership team at this, I had the opportunity to hire the best, hire the most sophisticated tenure veterans. The you know people have done this, been here, done that before, and on paper it would look perfect person's great on paper okay but when, but when you dig into it on paper you know whether it was hunger or whether it was not the right time or i just was you know we'd be a stepping stone i just felt they may not be the right person for us and i actually settled with not settled i should say my choice i actually opted for people like for example a three-year um veteran in a certain skill set versus a 10-year veteran or opted for a person who was a VP, not an EVP in a certain thing, because the step-up job he was ready for, and I knew he would put everything into it, where the EVP might have been somebody who more coasted or had to build an infrastructure team. Um, you know, a team would be more of a uh, delegator. I was looking for the the hungry, um, this was their moment. They were up at bat. For the first time, the spotlight was on them. They had enough skill. They had incredible passion. They had a really strong why. And that's who I brought into my team. But on paper, it may not look like the, you know, the 10-year veteran, the MBA from Harvard that, you know, I'm looking for the grit, the person that can, that can, that just, this is it. When they come home at night, they're all their passions going to this as if this was the game they've been waiting for all their life. Um, They've waited for game seven and this was it. And those are the people that are on my management team. And that's why I have, you know, phenomenal talent. And those are the kind of people you don't, provide command and control too. You don't say do this. These are the people you set them up and you let them go do, let them be the best selves that they can and oh. give them the opportunity in the, in the framework to say, you know, here's the goal. Here's the hill we want to attack commander's intent. And we, you know, this is what I want to get done. And now you guys come up with a plan how to do it. And, you know, with the plan, the people, the resources, and let me know just so we're aligned across the board. And, uh, and, that's the kind of people we try to hire, and that enables and empowers them to do it. So that's, that's what an interesting skill set that must be for you. And this could be a segue into the next question, but you use the word let. And I really love the word let in so many contexts in, in my industry because it's an instruction that uh, is consistent with human peak performance. Right. Yep. Right. Well, in, in studies, research studies with putting in golf, yep. they get two populations of professional golfers. So these are like excellent, phenomenal athletes at sport. And one uh, group is given the instruction, make as many of these 20-footers as you can. And the other was given the instruction, let these go in. And that's the group that made more. Let is also used like letting in, in instruction for meditation. Let the thought go. Let it come and let it go. Let, let. So it's not forcing things, right? Letting is not forcing. There's a Chinese principle called Wu Wei. Now, here's what's interesting as I'm listening to you uh, for me is that um, you are really... Well, you're empowering, right? You're empowering your people to take charge, right? right. Uh, is it difficult for you as the leader to at times um, not think that you know better? Um, I have to weigh that. You know, you have to weigh the balance. It. I mean, there are situations that you know I can see the path forward, and I can tell that there might be some resistance and chain in, in something where it, one of the executives might say, well, you know, I've never done that before, not comfortable doing that, um, and where I, I know better. Um, but I, I resist. I look at the whole picture. It's, it, is, it is sometimes challenging, but I think of what the, 
you know, if they can't learn to get there, then they're not going to get done when I need them to get done the right way. So I'm not sure it's a very great way of saying it, but I will, it's the answer is yes, I will resist. I will find a way to get to the outcome, but in a way that they were empowered to learn along the way and do it at a pace that they were comfortable with within the structure. Um, if we're going to miss a number or miss something that a deadline on something, then we'll be more forceful, but I haven't really had that problem before. Um, you know, one other thing just to add to what you said, mm. um, you know, and if you now tie this all back together again to some of the training I've received from, from someone that I know who talked about people are in a better peak performance state when they're above the old line versus the below the old line. And in, in imagine a scenario that your commander curl saying, I don't trust you. I'm going to tell you what to do. I'm going to make the decision. You go execute. Then you the the pressure and the anxiety raises. They start performing a little below the old line because now they're feeling the pressure of doing something. It wasn't my idea. It was someone else's idea. Um, I'm just doing what they said. It works out. It works out. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But I'm going to be held accountable. And the anxiety starts turning. Now, now turn it around to, you know, we want to take that hill. What do you think? And how do you think we should do it? That person then you know, gets excited. They, they start doing critical thinking, analytical. They trusted me. Wow. I don't want to let them down. Let me go think of a plan on how to, how to make this successful and become a reward that person for trusting me to come up with a way to take that hill. And that person starts, you know, performing above the old line where they start getting really motivated, excited. I have a, I have a chance to prove myself and, and I'm empowered to do it. And, um, you know, and, and I'm just gonna and I'm gonna build trust. So he does it to me again, and he keeps giving me more things, and keeps trusting me versus telling me what to do. Mm-hmm. And that's been and that's been a big part of my leadership style is is that, and I you know owe you owe a lot to you, Chris. <laughs> but I actually do use that, and I've actually used that with people, and I specifically, even though I haven't sent everyone to their courses, uh, I actually do speak about the old line and talk about you know being in a peak performance state, and uh, and so so I. I I, again, it uses opportunity on your podcast to thank you for not just infecting, impacting me, but also a lot of people in the industry and people that I that, that I get to manage who may not know who you are, but somewhere along the way, they went home that night and said, I had a pretty good day. I made a difference today. And, uh, and they're in a good mood. That's awesome, man. And then for that, thank you for that acknowledgement. And for those of you who might not know, Gary right now is using very, very sophisticated mental toughness nomenclature. Okay, and when he so when he refers to the O line, that means the observation line. Very succinctly, it, that simply means neutral. There's three ways we're always interpreting reality: we're, we're you know low grade, neutral, or high grade. And all peak performances, all human peak performance uh, occurs above neutral, and that's what he means by above the O line. And that simply means in elevated states, states like enthusiasm, states like expertise and competence, right? Total confidence, gratitude and all those so good stuff man so uh what would you say are the greatest mental challenges of your role as ceo mental challenge yeah psychological specifically mental wow um you know i've been a ceo this is my first ceo job i've been doing this for for over a year and a half now um you know i came in very uh, uh, organized. Um, you know, I've always been a planner. And so I, I don't, I usually, you know, come up with a plan. I align with folks, hire the right people, um, and we execute the plan. And right now we've been, we've done amazingly well. So the company is doing incredible and, and very happy. I'm going to ask you soon. I, I haven't had a lot of, a lot of stress or anxiety with it. If you were to ask me, the, <laughs> the method would be oh, nice. the just you never know when you hire someone, when you hire a leader, you just never know. And I think that's probably the number one thing um, is, you know, you, are you making the right call? I mean, hiring the three-year person to, that hasn't totally proved himself in the market that you believe is the right person, has the right why, is it really the right person? Um, and do they make, if I do this seven times with seven different people, how's the dynamic of my leadership team going to be? That's probably the thing I think about the most that I worry that's out of my control. So you can only, you can only do so much. And then you, you make calculated decisions, you make the bets, you have them interview each other and then the next person that comes in. But at the end of the day, you don't truly know how the dynamics going to really work. Um, and so I probably the anxiety is that because if, if it doesn't work, then you got a really big problem. How fortunately, long your, oh, sorry, it sorry. So fortunately it has worked. But, you know, part, you know, man, I've done the diligence and, you know, but I, I have to think there's got to be some luck because, um, 
you know, there's going to be some luck to it because it's not, you're not always going to be perfect, but um, <laughs> fortunately we haven't, I've, you know, been able to hire folks that, that work so well together that have each other's back that, that, that subscribe to our common culture and, and our common outcome. So it works. Um, so that would probably be one of the mental, um, the, if the insecurity I would have is, did I, is my team the right team? Um, or is there you know, very and did I hire the right folks? But I have. Um, the other part is, I think if I give a two-part question, is I think you know, one of the things when I went into the CEO, you know, as a new CEO, I went into the role thinking, I've seen a lot of CEOs hesitate. I've seen a lot of CEOs not be able to make decisions. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I was always a very decisive person. I planned, I organized. And, and my whole idea was when you have a plan, execute, execute with extreme prejudice. Don't wait, go. And don't be afraid to make mistakes. And, How interesting. Yeah. you say that again? Execute with extreme prejudice. You remember that movie with Nick Nolte, Extreme Prejudice? I think I got that from that. I love so, Nick Nolte, but I don't remember that one. I'll go, we'll look it up. I think it's a Texas. Okay. I think it's called, I think it's called Extreme Prejudice. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm, <laughs> I'm the movie. I haven't seen in about 20 years, but it was, a, it was a term that just, you know, you know, just committed to execution. And I always view it as extreme prejudice, which means you're very aggressive in execution. But when you call the play, you execute. And because of that, I've seen a lot of CEOs or certain leaders in my, in my past that may not be familiar with certain areas of the business and therefore they're afraid to make decisions. And I always found that as the most stifling um, element to, you know, to leadership is when you just can't be decisive and you can't make decisions. And so for us, um, it's that. So now the anxiety is, what if we made the wrong call? Um, you know, because our mm. decision is, here's the four things we're going to do. What if they're the wrong four things? What if one of them was the wrong four things? Are you able to pick, are you able to catch yourself fast enough and adjust and course correct quickly enough that if you did make a mistake, you could, you know, could easily, you know, correct, correct it. Because if you're yeah. going to go fast and you run the play and the play is going to blow up, you don't want to wait for the end for the play to be blown up. You want to actually be able to course correct. So that would be other anxiety, just those two things, the right people and your leadership team. And, you know, did you, did you call the right play? Because if you're going to run the play with extreme prejudice, then, then you better be a right. You know, hopefully it's the right play. And if there's too many wrong plays, I won't be the CEO for very much longer. But you know what? That. It's, there's risk-taking. It's calculated risk-taking when you're in this role. And I think it's a better thing for culture that the company knows that you're making calculated uh, calculated risks. You're executing on them. You're not waiting. I think it's when they just kind of become lethargic and kind of wait for someone to tell them what to do or you're not doing things to make a difference. And, and, and we are. And I think it's part of why you know, our company is right now being really successful and our team is very motivated um, highly engaged and, and uh, excited to to really you know shape the market. And we're going to get to some of that. I want you to give me look. This is fun. Create the state. Don't wait. Don't oh, wait. That's exactly. Hey, that's coincidence. I have to. I have to get myself one of those coffee mugs. Oh, you'll be getting one. <clears throat> so um, we had referenced earlier your leadership philosophy and enabling and empowering. And there's a bunch of bullet points or a couple that uh, I really wanted to ask you about. But one, you already beat me to it. It's commander's intent, right? And that's the that's empowerment. Well, I don't know. I don't yeah. want to put words in your mouth. It's trusting. Yeah. It's trusting that you've chosen the right people and trusting their ability to execute. It's, it's commander's intent is that it came from that West Point art where you basically provide the intent. You don't tell them how, but you tell them why. And oh. you tell them what we're going to do and here's why we're going to do oh, it. I like that a lot. Let's and slow that down. Let's slow that down. Okay, there's one of those deals. Commander's intent is is the why is is really the why and what and the what and and not the not the how not the how you hire your team your mm. team to figure out the how yeah micromanagers can't do that no they can't they they they, they tell them the how do you and ever get feet yeah they do right and they impose that right well do you ever get you know you strike me as somebody that's really excellent at trusting and empowering people to discover uh or or to trust their own how do you ever get feedback on wishing that like people will say i wish you would give me more guidance um no not really because the people i hire are not those people like i i if i when i, when I talk when i speak to folks whether it's a manager and they say i'm great just tell me what to do um you know those are those don't fit within an enable and empowerment environment they fit really well in a, in a command and control environment 
And I know companies that they would be perfect for. Um, some of the biggest software companies in, in, the, in the world, you know, employ that kind of um, philosophy because they want to make sure everyone's exactly on the same page. So everything funnels up to, you know, a single person who then puts out the plans and everyone just, ex just execute the plans. Don't mm -hmm. tell me last questions, just do this. And I don't hire those. Those are generally people I don't, I don't hire in my leadership team. Now we might have people below my leadership team because, you know, it, it, one of the managers, you know, it, 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 this is for me and my executive leadership team, my senior leadership team, but for some of the folks in the field, we just, you know, it is execute with extreme prejudice. Here's the plan. We've vetted this out, you know, deliver your number, pipeline development, lead development. They might not tell them how to do it, but, you know, give them the tools, et cetera. But for my leaders, I'm looking, not like if a leader came to me and say, this is nice, but, you know, I, I don't care. Yeah, I just better if you just tell me what to do, then that's probably a good time to find another leader in my team. So Roger that. Well, another thing that popped for me in studying your leadership philosophy is the phrase, don't let perfection be the enemy of good. Can you please elaborate on that for us? Yeah, I mean, it's you know, you see a lot of folks in leadership, you know, and again, these are philosophies that I've, I've, I've loved. And I wanted my team to understand that it's okay to make a mistake. Oh. Um, it's okay. Um, and that some folks, you know, want the whole plan to be tidied up, perfect. They know the outcome. And by the time they get to that point of the probability being what they think is 100%, the market's already passed them, the time's already passed them, the competitive competition's already passed them. Um, I'd rather them do 10 things and get seven right than one thing and get one right. Well, and, uh, wait, wait, wait. you're saying so many wonderful things that I want to make sure I get. <laughs> yeah, sorry, but it's my Philadelphia fast talking voice. And then, you know, what? I was going to wait till the uh, end. I, the only... I wish that that red cap behind you was a little bit more visible because I'm loving it very much. You may, some of you who are watching this, not just listening, you might have noticed a similarity here. That's we have a good connection here, Chris. That's yes, it is. And that's a wonderful connection. Did you ever have? Oh, I'll hold. I will hold that off to the to the end. That'll be fun. Let's oh, make sure I made. It's going to be a cheesesteak thing. So just just see. Uh, um, I'm not. Uh, so if it's if it's cheese whiz or not, I'm not cheese whiz. So no, I mean no, no, but it's not cheese. cheese that's bullshit. That's for tourists. Okay, it's. I'm not cheese. I'm not cheese whiz. Nobody's no one, no one that I've ever known, ever from Philly. Prefers the whiz. Oh, really? Over, over. Well, I don't know anybody who prefers the whiz over like American or provolone. I, I don't know. I, I like the regular stuff. That's what I'm saying. That's what I meant. If I didn't say it right, I mean, I don't know anyone from Philly who likes. They promote it all the time as the thing. That's the standard, you know. It's, yeah, it's just it's 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 tourism. Tourism. Yeah. It's right. It, yeah. It's Pats and Genos. That's, you know. Yeah. So uh, you'd rather. Someone try ten things and and succeed at seven, yeah. then yeah. and one. What do you mean? What I mean, one and one is a hundred? Is a hundred? Man, you're about a thousand there, right? Well, then, but think of it as I got seven things done versus one thing done, so it's okay. Oh, I see. Okay, okay, okay. Because I, 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 one I was afraid. I got you. Oh, man, I love that. I'm glad we slowed that down. Okay. Yeah, so it's a you know some a lot hmm. of people are afraid to make mistakes. Um, they're afraid to do things. They're afraid to make mistakes. And I think one of the one of the um, elements of a really high performing team is you're not afraid to try things. You're not afraid to act. Okay. You're not afraid to innovate. You're not afraid to fail. Uh, you heard some of the good innovation leaders have, have said that. You know, try things, uh, make mistakes. It's okay. Um, I'm not, sure, not not sure Elon Musk blow up a bunch of ships to figure out how to make it work. That's probably a little expensive way to do it, um, but. The point of it is that there's the move. The market's moving fast. It's moving fast. We've been. I've been doing this for you know three decades now. And I was talking to someone earlier today. And you know, when I started, there wasn't the internet, which is kind of bizarre to think about. When I started business, there was the mainframe. Uh, now we have the cloud, distributed processing, etc. If I waited for things to happen to be perfect, so there was a, a known de facto standard and everything, I'd be behind the curve on everything. Just be learning. And what's been proven, but the market's changed at such a rapid pace. The evolution of, our, of, of the industry of IT has changed so rapidly that you, that it's all about calculated bets. You know what's going to work. You know what problems are going to be solved, be are required to be solved tomorrow. You know where's the puck going to be? 
um, versus where it's been. And let me just, someone teach me how you execute against something that already has been. So I, you know, to push the envelope um, into trying to solve customer problems and outcomes, you just have to be thinking ahead as to, you know, again, where things are, which means try things because you're not going to learn unless you try things and you might learn from your mistakes. I, Last thing I'll say on this, as AI comes out, you know, I've worked for a company, you actually presented at that company. Um, you know, we're building out an AI platform that would help pre predict when your machine would fail. I don't know if you remember mm -hmm. what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. um, and I went to a customer site one day and I, I, I told them this product. And the guy said, how much is dual pilot? I said, it's a billion dollars. He said, you know, took the CEO, said, come over here. And he said, write him a check for a million dollars. I was like, well, that was the easiest sale I've ever had. It was like, you know, within an hour. And I couldn't help but ask him, um, okay, you know, what are your goals? He goes, show me what you got. I said, that's it? He goes, yeah, because I'm going to buy five of them from five of you. And I'm going and I'm, and I'm to choose one of you. And I'm expecting four of you to fail. And I'm expecting one of you to succeed. And I just may have spent $5 million, but I just found out my AI solution for the future. You wow. know Saving versus waiting two years and doing RFPs, RFIs, testing, being perfect. My management's going to ask me what my strategy is, and I'm going to be testing things forever. Heck with it. I'm just going to go test five things, and you guys show me what, what's the best thing, and I'm going to make a decision. And I'm going to make that decision in six months, and guess what? I'll have a digital strategy with a solution. It'll cost me $5 million, but the cost of not doing it for two years is a lot more than $5 million. Brilliant. Think about that. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. Yeah, that's what's happening in the market. <clears throat> you know, I'm convinced that one of the most powerful, perhaps the most important or powerful move uh, that, a, that a business leader can make is to do whatever it takes to create an environment where people feel safe to do what you're saying, right? To, 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 to get creative, to take a risk. <clears throat> so they're not playing on in football, the terms prevent defense which is all about avoiding screwing up. And you guys, we haven't talked about it yet. We will in a minute. Uh, you have a lot to, you you right now, you're killing it, okay? Just that we'll get to the details of that. You'll share that with us, but you're killing it. And, that, and, and when you're killing it, that's when people tend to go into, let's not screw this up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, so what do you do in your culture to keep people on offense? No, good, good question. Um, first thing I would say is planning. Plan the heck out of the business. Um, it's where do you want to be three to five years from now? As you hear that in interviews, you hear that in conversations and board meetings. But what we do now and what I do, my job right now, I look at my job as about, it's about two years from now, three years from now, four years from now. How do I create value for the company? Um, you know, because in the, in the moment today, what am I going to do to affect the year? Yell at some salespeople to make more sales calls, tell spend more marketing money. I mean, product delivery is not going to happen in a day. I mean, there's there's only so much you can affect in the real time. You know, that's the extreme prejudice, prejudice execution. If you put your team in a position to succeed, they'll they'll, they'll execute it. I focus on the future, uh, which is now I want my leaders to. So for all my planning meetings, my QBRs, quarterly business reviews, people I'm not, not familiar with, and all my meetings, they're always about, you know, what'd you learn? You know, what's your outlook? And then what are you going to do two, three years from now? Like, where, where's the market going from a market perspective, a product perspective, a go-to-market perspective, um, an operating model perspective to make sure we scale our systems to support future growth? Like, the things I'm investing in right now in the company are not about this year. They're about the fact that we're probably going to do a lot of M&A, mergers and acquisitions, and that how am I going to load them, those new companies, into my platform? So I better build the platform now so it's ready in the future. So a lot of the key initiatives we have today are not for today. They're actually to execute on today to make everyone's life a lot better two years from now, three years from now, four years from now. And so far it's worked out. In fact, um, yeah. last year I picked, I picked four things. I said, we're going to focus the company on four main things. That's it. Four things. That's all. Brand, define our brand, define who we are so people know who we are. Two is let's build one platform for the business, one tech ed platform that can unify support any career at the time we only had one career real estate to support any career we never did add another career 15 years uh, number three was create an operating model that can support it we had excel spreadsheets manual processes tools people writing checks out of their office 
Um, you know, not, nothing automated, nothing digitized. But if we do what I think we're going to do in our plan, we're going to execute extreme prejudice, then we are going to need systems that can support it. And then finally, M&A, you know, someone to actually do it. We've never done it before. So we went ahead and built the systems, put in the model, built the platform. And in a really tough environment last year, we actually acquired three companies and added seven more careers. Um, and good thing we did that because now those seven careers have a platform to go to, hmm. a model to integrate with, and, uh, and, and we're executing it within, within a new brand to allow them to still promote their own brands and umbrella. So if you have to think ahead. And so what do I make them do is I make them think ahead, but that's part of the CEO's job is also where do you, where's the, where's the puck going and how do you want to get there and what do you need to support the company to get there? So okay. I, I, I live a lot in the future. So I live a lot in kind of the, the, the horizons, the variety, the, you know, the, the, that's the right. That, that, that can be fun, right? It's fun. I mean, there's a lot of people that spend their lives living in the future in fear, <laughs> Yeah. You're, you're spending it in enthusiastic creativity and optimism, determination and focus. And that's, that's, that's just damn fun. What's the language like though? Like when, when someone makes a mistake, okay. All right. Going back to safety, keeping people on offense, you guys are killing it. You're going to give us some more detail on that in a minute, but what, what, like what's, what, what's the language in your culture? What's said, you know, when someone screws up, um wow um hopefully we haven't put him in a position to be on an island that there aren't there aren't i would never put in a position that the companies was at risk or the assets were at risk that that if they're taking a risk i'm aware of the backup plan and, and the bar and the guardrails i should say better okay. words so there won't be a situation that somebody will screw up so badly that'll be materially impactful to our business. Okay. Um, so most of the decisions that they will make, and if they if it fails, um, they're so minor that they can be overcome with other things or can be adjusted for. So and you know and that's part of I think as a CEO you want to put your people in a position to make decisions, but there are big things that you need to um, you have to stay on top of and just, uh, and you're just, you're monitoring progress your milestones they get behind. You have options. You're always thinking about the options and, and the bar and the guardrails to make sure not, there's nothing catastrophic that can happen. I'm trying to think something screwed up. Um, uh, well, we had, we had a situation, well, there was a situation and I'm trying to think, uh, this was one of those fearful moments that in, in somewhere in my past, I won't know when it was, um, we had a, we had a, uh, a, Busiest day of our of our company of the company, and the servers didn't work properly that day on the busiest sales day of, of the year. Perfect, and uh, and that was unexpected, and that was catastrophic. That was high risk catastrophic. Um, imagine if you don't know the cause, you don't know why, but you can't produce, you can't take orders, yeah. and it's the busiest sales day of the year. Mm. Uh, what do you do? And you know, here, you know, I. I don't know, the team rallied, got together. They started um, root causing, identifying what could possibly try to eliminate things. And together within about, you know, about six hours, they figured out how to stand up a server to let least existing customers come in. And within another 12 hours, even though we didn't solve the problem, they found an alternative solution to stand up the server farms in such a way that everything could go back to production. So we were really down two days of which when it started and there's no end in sight and you don't yeah. know what to do and you don't have a solution for it, you're scary. It's, it's frightening. It's, 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 it's kind of company changing. Some companies can't imagine someone getting attacked with ransomware. You know, yeah. what are you going to do? What if they decide right. what if you decide, they don't turn you back on? Like, what are you going to do? Um, so, and things like that can happen. And, uh, you know, there's things that are out of your control and you try to do as much, you, you try to have as much controlled consequences and controlled environments as you possibly can, but there's always the unknown. I guess that maybe to answer one of your questions, what the biggest fear I have is that it's the unknown. It's the unexpected. It's the thing that you didn't prepare for, that you did everything you could, but something happened uh, that was out of your control that nobody could force, foresee. And then what do you do when that happens? Because things are going to happen. Um, and I think as a CEO, it's, you know, that was great. We all were measured. There was no panic. It was calmness. Um, I was probably pretty nervous about it, but, um, the outcome could not have any better. I, you know, I, it, you know, I was certain that this was going to take a lot longer to resolve. And I, I had set expectations with others about that. And it turns out it was only a two day, 
two day event, which was the best case scenario of all. So, mm. yeah. So you could you could easily make the argument that mental toughness is about yeah. the ability to respond rapidly with a grace, mastery, enthusiasm, creative genius in moments, well, sure. in catastrophic moments. Yeah, I, in the times I, I, where you're not getting what you want. I have a security background, as you know, from my my history. And uh, you know, part one of the major principles in security is that things are going to happen. Mm-hmm. And it's your ability to detect and your ability to respond and how you narrow the gap between detection and response. That's basically, that's principle number one in security. Um, think about that. Can mm-hmm. you detect an attack and how fast you can respond to attack? And if you can get that as close to real time as you can. But respond intelligently, though. Right? And yeah, I know that's fine. Right. So response, but that's the word is that's interesting because you're response bridge the gap. So detect, grasp, yeah. figure it out, and then respond quickly. And so in security, these are more technologies, and there are companies that actually do this now. Back then, when we when the when the that industry was invented, security event management, that was the whole goal. Was how do you detect and respond? But in real life, not security, that's really even as a CEO, is can you understand, have your situational awareness, and when something happens, can you calmly detect it, understand it, and respond to it quickly. Um, and you know, so I think as a CEO, that's the big thing is you know, keep your calm, keep your composure. You asked about mental skills. Yeah. Always be calm, cool, data-based, fact-based. Um, don't be emotional. Don't freak out because they're all looking at you. So don't freak anybody out. Don't yeah. panic. Don't yell. Don't scream. Solve the problem. <laughs> all 13. Don't guess at it. Solve it and just figure it out what the root causes are and, and, yeah, that's probably your best shot of, of bridging the gap between detection and response. And, and you know, my favorite, well, one of my favorite words in all of that is response. Another way of uh, defining mental toughness is response-ability. Mm-hmm. Ability to choose a useful response as opposed to being reactionary. Now think about that scenario in a command and control environment. Mm. Everything mm-hmm. happens in the command and control environment where you haven't empowered and enabled your people to think. To oh, think man. Wow. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so I love that to... sentence. You, Yes. Right. We empower our people to think. Yeah. And then they can solve right. some of the problems they feel empowered to. They don't wait for the CEO to figure it all out for them. You know, you guys, you set me up. So you figure it out here. They feel accountable, responsible, empowered, enabled. And they come up with the solutions and, you know, this is what happened. And we, I don't need to tell them to dig up for the root cause. And, you know, they just acted and they got together, they communicated, we collaborated, but you know, I was on calls with during this, this, this situation and, and during the calls and the situation, there wasn't me telling them what to do. It was me listening to this great, everyone had opinions of, of where, where to look and, and what options we had and scenario planning. And we can do this option, but here are the pros and cons and, you know, and, and we got to the end end result because they were thinkers. They felt empowered, enabled. They didn't defer it. They didn't say, "Not my problem." They said, "I'm accountable. This is my problem. This is our problem." And you know, let's figure this out. And uh, and it, it's a good thing this culture is really well equipped for that type of volatile environment, that type of volatility, um, and that where you have to make decisions on the fly, dynamic environments. I mean, having the people be able to make the decisions and act and think. Because they have the situation, like they know the stuff better than I do. Um, and if I'm still here, I think I understand systems and technology better than they do. I hire them to be experts in this area. Yeah. Now, put them in a position to use that talent and expertise to help figure out problems. Then I got a really powerful team. And that's, and that's kind of what we have. Yeah, you know what's another variable that makes it a lot easier? Easier, it doesn't guarantee it, but it makes it so much easier to be able to respond rapidly with mastery, especially when stuff's not going your way, is a great track record. Is a track record of recent bad assery, which word on the street is that you have. So if you would indulge us, maybe you could just go on a little positive rant here and tell us all about the things that you're super uh proud of in recent history and excited about for the near future uh, career certified career certified um well you know it's not easy to do what we are doing um you know, we've gone from a monolithic um, company that was the leaders in real estate education 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, we had an a, a, a aspirational vision to diversify our portfolio and become a leader in multi-vertical career education, which means that any career, um, compliance-driven, if you want to be an architect, if you want to be an engineer, if you want to be an appraiser, a home inspector, a mortgage loan officer, you know, these are these are all careers that you require to take education, pass the courses, prepare you for the exam, and then pass the exam. We did this for realtors only, but the aspiration was, what if someone did this for all careers on a single platform? So, you know, it's, you know, you, you, on paper, you say, okay, change the brand, change the platform, change the model, buy some company. I mean, there's a lot to be done, especially last year, which was like the worst year in real estate, as you know, with mortgage rates going through the roof. And even in doing so, um, we pulled it off. And so I'm so psyched. What I'm most excited about is, is that, you know, one, we, you know, our market, a lot of people have actually shrunk last year, went down and we went up. Uh, in fact, in the last three years, the company has quadrupled. So quadrupled. Quadrupled four times. Companies quadrupled in three years during some volatile times as you as you, you know, between yeah. COVID. Yeah. COVID and yeah. we've had a you know a pretty tough economy last year. And in that time, we transformed the entire company from the C shop, which I'm still getting lucky enough to wear their vest. To career certified, which is the name of the company, which we set up to actually be able to you know, provide a really career education to in a certification type manner to various careers. What I'm excited about in the future is I think we have an incredible opportunity to just build on what we've done, mm. expand our careers, to continue to build one platform, to tie that into really a career lifecycle management type platform where a user doesn't, a, a customer isn't just going to get the value from taking the test, passing the exam, getting certified, keeping up with their keeping up with the certification, but truly being a career partner where you provide information and, and really a lifelong experience with us as a school versus just passing your test, getting your certification. So at the end of the day, you know, our, our own point is to help help our users to make help them help people make their purpose attainable. What's their why? Mm. We want to help why come true. And at a high level, you know, why do we all work? Um, you know, we work, yes, we like to work, but we kind of need to work to provide, get independence for our families, to put food on the table, to, uh, you know, to help them go to school, to provide them college, you know, to, to provide them the, the, the resources to do that. Wouldn't it be great if we can provide that and just and do it in the career they want to be in? They can be successful in their career, have fun in their career, be successful and be able to yeah. also allow their purpose to be more than just monetary, but also something to be fulfilling to them that they want to do. Like we've, you and I have talked about, it'd be great if you have people that don't do jobs because they have to do it because they want to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, they, don't, they don't wake up in the day and say, I have to go to work today, but I, I clearly can't wait to start today. Uh, mm-hmm. like some, some of the lessons that I, I've seen on some of on, on some of the messages that you put out in, 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 uh, in a daily dose, but they're, they're really good. And, um, and they're, I mean, they're great and they're really helpful, but those are the, by the way, those are the, not just you help them with their lives and careers, but you're helping them be successful too. Because again, there are, these are people that are going to be in peak performance states when they work because they're in a good mood and they're in a great place and they're trying to make a difference every day. And, um, and I think we can do that. And so we've got a great aspirations for our company. You know, I, I think that you know, quadrupling in three years is nice, but let's keep it going. And uh, I think we can keep doing it and excited to do it. Well, congratulations on your incredible success. Of late, and I'm excited to to watch that continue. Uh, and the, the last thing that I, I wanted to ask you about is you, know, you just, I mean, we've been talking about empowering people and serving people the whole time. And um, you and your wife are doing, and this is obviously we're switching from professional to personal world, but you, you, you made me aware recently of something that I was not aware of. I've always enjoyed you as a person. I, I was, as soon as I met you, I'm like, this dude's cool. And uh, before I even knew you were from Philly, from Wellington, Wellington. That, that helps. by the way, that helps, that helps a lot. <laughs> but, but for those of you who don't know, so Gary's actually from Wilmington, Delaware, which is, and I'm from South Jersey. That's all we call tri-state area. New York is not part of the tri-state area saying uh delaware uh eastern pennsylvania and and south jersey or the tri-state area but it's all philadelphia country which is why he's got the phillies cap down there you're actually right there where i was born i was born in sarasota you know that i did not know that i was born in sarasota and my first year i was adopted in my first year of my life i we lived in clearwater beach 
I'm sure clear, that. Clear, clear water. Clear water. And then and then we moved up to the Philly area. I mean, it was destined. Yeah. Wasn't even a choice. Wasn't even a choice. But um, now, but tell us what's going on. So you are foster parenting. We are helping out. We um we ran into a situation uh and uh we were never looking to be a foster. We have four kids of our own and, mm-hmm. and one with special needs. And as they get older, we ran across a family that um that took two kids in and from just kids their parents were both in jail and uh and they had nowhere to go and so in the foster system for everyone to know is that you know we, you know, imagine what happens when parents are lugged away or something they 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 basically get taken out of whatever the environment was and put in a safe environment in the middle of the night yeah. like be a jailhouse maybe you know it, it, there's nowhere to go so there are some emergency foster type situations that the kids will go to knock on the door from someone at three in the morning and the kids go sleep there that night. And there was a family that saw these two kids and just said, I'm not putting them back in the system. These kids have been through hell. And the kids were at the time about five years old and about two years old. They've been through hell, never knew their parents, just been abused house to house to house. And finally, police came into one and took, took the person away. And kids now have no home, no family, never had a parent. And we've never been involved in this, but we saw what this other family was doing. And we said, wow, you're amazing. I can't believe you're doing this. If you ever need any help, let us know. Yeah, you know, we're happy to help out. I mean, for what you guys did. Well, they needed the help. And uh, and they started leaning on us and, and saying, we're just so tired. It's a lot taking, you know, these kids have been traumatized. I mean, they're traumatized. It's not a normal kid. I mean, these kids are, they've never been trained. And they've never learned how to read. They imagine that. They've, wow. These are they're traumatized kids that have been abused and and given nothing, and they're and and it's hard to find parents that are willing to take in damaged or troubled kids. They look at as damaged kids. Well, you know how many kids there are out there. Like in my county alone, in Hillsborough County, there's about 150 families that are that have raised their hand. That are beautiful people that said we're going to help out and give something back to the community. There's over 2,000 kids looking for parents. 2,000. The just there, of- just there, just in your county. Yeah, just in my county. My county is really. It's not the best for for foster, um, and uh, there are other counties that do better, but ours is a bit rough. But you know, you have this saying that I tell my I tell my team this in business. You know, if not you, then who? You know, if not us, then who? I, and uh, and so my wife and I, you know, told the family like, hey, you need any help? Let us know. Well, they're coming to the end of their they they couldn't really do it much more, and so they um, asked us, you know, what are we doing? We weren't going to let this these kids or this kids. You know, there's two of them. You know, the brother went to one family. We said, we'll help out with the other family. So we're in the situation that we're helping this one, uh, this child. But it's been two years now. And we're hopefully at the end of it where we think, praying, that we think we may have found a foster to adopt family full time. Like mm-hmm. this foster is a temporary until you find someone to adopt. So we think we're hopeful. So I'm in a very good mood today because we're in a very we're close. We think we have the perfect family who this individual will complete them. And, and the, the person itself, my wife's a teacher, uh, was a teacher. So she helped tutor her, taught her, brought her swimming lessons. We've explored What's your wife's her. name? Jody. Jody. She's Jody. 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 You see that little picture? Yes. Um, so Jody's great. And she taught the, taught the girl. And now she's, she actually reads. She can't, she can't get enough books. We take her to Barnes and Noble and reading his letter to confidence, confidence letter to better social skills, respectful skills. She plays with her kids. It's amazing. The amount of, uh, uh, this kid is in fact, the other, she went, we take her to a camp, 30 kids at camp. One kid's shy, sits by herself. It's this person that goes over and says, okay, come play with us. This is the person who has no parents, the person who's never been raised, never been taught anything. And it's a great thing. And it's just, a, I guess, you know, I would just I don't know if there's listeners out there that can that wanted to help out with the foster system. It's one that now has become meaningful to us because, I mean, if not you, then who? I mean, who's going to, I mean, these kids are great kids or I mean, it wasn't their fault. People look at them like, well, it's their fault. Look at them or look, they have no matters. How, how are they supposed to figure it out? I mean, they don't have a bed. They don't have a room. They don't how have would a- you describe how how you feel, how it feels? Let's just say that the family, right, that that you're communicating yep. that's considering adopting. Um, let's just say that that goes through, like today. Yeah. Yep. How's that feel for you? Oh, amazing! Probably better than anything. Just, uh, I mean, we're we're kind of consumed with it in the last few days. But you're right. I mean, we we stay up at night thinking about it. I'm like making a number at a quarter. I and mean, this is a kid's life. So the, yeah, the we're, we're at this point that, yeah, we already feel good. 
because we know she's on the right track to good things are going to happen. One where the good things are going to happen to this child. And also we know that we're never going to let the bad thing happen to this child. So we, you know, we make sure that, you know, this kid will never be in the system. This kid will never be on her own again, ever and never. And, and you can tell she knows it and she trusts us. And therefore it's changed her entire stability and her personality that she just feels wow. good. That's got to be so spectacular. There's nothing, there's nothing more happy. I mean, we, you know, there's nothing more, you know, is rewarding, honestly. Okay. Than, I mean, there's, there's a lot of causes out there. But I think as you get older, you know, you want to start thinking about your legacy. What can you get back? And I think one day, you know, I'm, I'll hopefully, you know, I make it to the end and I can look back and, and this little girl will be probably half my age at that point. And I can look back and say, you know, I had some impact in this child's life and then the family that she then raises. And you know, we all, we all, we're all going to go on one day and, you know, it's what you leave behind. And this mm -hmm. to me is very rewarding. It came out of accident. Um, but uh, maybe, uh, maybe. Yeah. But we, but we love her and it's been, it's been rewarding for me and my wife and my kids. They all That's love her. Beautiful. So this kid oh. knows that she's got a home, but it's, uh, or, or we'll have, will have a stable life now. And I think she, and she, I think she feels it too. So it's making a big difference. Well, way, to go, way to go, Gary and Jody. Uh, I don't, I don't suspect that people who tuned in today were anticipating hearing this last part, but if people who are hearing this are interested in exploring this as a possibility and you know, a way of, you know, making a contribution, having part of the, if they, somebody, anyone wants to feel a part of the same level of reward and they're sitting here listening. I didn't expect this to come up in this podcast. How would I even learn more about that? What, what, what do you tell them? So what did, what do you do? Anyone out here listening is go to your County. So whatever County you're in, just Google um, foster care network in your County. And it will Google pop up something, Children's Home Network in Hillsborough County, for example, where I live. Um, but it will come up. There is an infrastructure in the county of what includes caseworkers, guardian items, there's attorneys, there's presidents, and they basically keep the inventory of lists of all the foster kids. And if you basically you you would submit an application, so get fingerprinted. They want to make sure you're, you know, you're a safe environment for them. Mm -hmm. so they're interested, and you don't have to make a commitment. So what happens is that you can agree to just be a temporary foster parent, which means what happens when the kids take it from a home? Just just keep them for a day or two to give them some stable stability for at least the trauma of where they just came from. You can agree to foster temporarily, which means you'll keep them until you find a foster to adopt family, or you can say we'll foster, but we might want to adopt the child as well. But there's always a need for adults, um, safe adults, who want to help these kids give a chance. It's just just give them stability. They're not like you're not looking to train them, teach them, raise them. It's just stability. They just mm -hmm. need, you know, think about when you were a kid. What would have been like if mom and dad weren't around? You know, mm -hmm. how how horrible that be when you have a, a bad night's sleep or a dream and there's no one to talk to. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's just no, and you don't know who cares about you and where you're going to sleep the next night. And you're a kid. This isn't the kid's fault. And uh, so if anyone you know, wants to contribute, I can tell you it's incredibly rewarding for my wife and I. It's a, it's, it's a lot. And uh, but fortunately, we're going to end up, I think, in a really, really happy ending um, of this this situation. And there'll probably not be more rewarding in our life. One of the most rewarding things we've done in our life. So. Way to go, man. It's so beautiful. All right. Is there a was there or is there a um, are there any good cheesesteak joints down there in Tampa? You know, we have this place. I like West Shore. This West Shore Pizza, which is opened up as a Philly place that opened up down here. That right on. I think the cheesesteaks are great. It's natural. It's cut up. You get chicken Philly. You get cheese. You get the steak. I like the. I don't like the chicken Phillies. The chickens. Oh, yeah. I know I just had to cheat a little healthier, but um. Can we edit that out, Micah? Can we edit that out? <laughs> well, Clearwater <laughs> here. Clearwater is the home of the Phillies, as you know. Yes, for spring uh -huh. training, right? and they actually have a lot of cheesecake places. Uh, Cheese cheesecake places over in, in Clearwater as well. I haven't been to them, but yeah, I actually not. I'm not the biggest cheesecake. I actually like the hoagies. All I'm right, to that. Amen to that, man. People ask me what's there in a hoagie and a sub. Like if you're not from Philly, you don't understand that. But yes, we don't use. We just don't have subs. It's a hoagie. Hoagies. Yeah. yeah, man. Well, that's cool. People might be a little bit confused, but you, you know, you even though you've been away from Philadelphia area for so long, you are still a diehard Sixers and Phillies fan. You have converted to Lightning and the Bucks, but we still got you on baseball and hoops, so that's nice to know. Not me a baseball hoops, but you can see from the background, um, you know, go Bolts and go Bucks. Amen. 
Hey, this has been awesome. Thank you. Uh, you know, Gary, I guess I just got to tell you, man, I'm really, I've known you for a long time and I, I, I'm proud of you as a human and as a leader and as a, as a man, you know, I have had the privilege of being in touch with you and for the duration, being able to, not the duration, but for the last more than 10 years and watching you excel and accelerate and, uh, and be great and be amazing. So congratulations, brother. Uh, I'm really excited for you. And, Thank and, you. and, Thanks, grateful. For your, and thanks for your partnership and all the training you provided to me and other peers in the industry that have taken a lot of your uh, teachings and insights to make us all a lot better at what we do. So uh, thank you. Beautiful. Thanks, brother. Appreciate you, man. Right. Take care. Yeah, you know, I've, I've always, you know how you say I, I get a really good vibe from, from her, from that guy. I've always gotten such a great vibe from, from Gary Weiss. And um, I'm really so excited for his success, and his company is really, truly killing it. This is public information. He didn't say the details, but I'll just let you know. And he said that they quadrupled in size. That was from $20 million to $80 million in three years. That's amazing. <laughs> but not surprising. You know, it's incredible leadership. The will and the self-awareness, the will and the skill, not the same thing. Hiring the right person versus the best one. These are some really cool distinctions. You know, execute with extreme prejudice. Did not understand what he meant by that at first, and it's decisiveness. Not being, not being afraid of being wrong. Staying offensive-minded. Uh, don't let perfection be the enemy of good. We, are, we empower our people to think. It's good stuff. So, uh, and then, of course, what he and, and his wife Jody are doing for the world on a personal level at home is nothing short of angelic. So, I don't know if you caught it, but he said if you had any interest in, in participating on, on any level from minuscule to massive, then you can just Google, just go Google uh, foster care in blank your county. So I live in Maricopa County, so I would Google foster care in Maricopa County and you can make a, any level of contribution that's that's comfortable for you if that's something that you're interested in. All right, folks, until next time, thank you for tuning in to Tough Talks and Great Miracles.